In the Know with Bernstein Research. Welcome to In the Know with Bernstein Research. In this series, we discuss investment controversies together with what is top of mind and in the news with Bernstein's research analysts. Our disclosures can be found at the end of this and every episode. I am Richard Moffat, based in London. Today with me on the podcast, I have Mark Merdler, our global software analyst, who also wrote his PhD thesis on artificial intelligence. We're going to look at the long-term future of the software industry. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us today. Truly my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we do want to talk about the long-term drivers, but one topic that can't be ignored this year is artificial intelligence. It's seemingly, along with GLP-1s, getting involved in every single sector, although I think we might struggle to get a GLP-1 impact for software at this stage. So we're going to start very top-down, and who do you think are the winners and losers in the software space, and how is the AI going to impact us at a very top-down level? So software is in the midst of a transition to the cloud, and the companies that have done the best are those companies that are able to give differentiated and valuable capabilities delivered through the cloud, making IT's job massively easier and democratizing the technology for any size corporation or even individual. AI furthers that process. It gives you the ability to be able to add capabilities that used to require a significant amount of expertise or significant amount of time. And artificial intelligence now makes it possible for people to do things that otherwise they might not be able to do. And so who are the winners and losers is always difficult to tell many years out. But obviously, the biggest winners are the guys that have moated businesses. They have differentiation and capabilities that will allow them to be able to shine through, to be able to protect the business and to be able to grow. So you want intellectual property, data is king nowadays. You want differentiation in your business. And which sectors, I mean, which industries are going to see the biggest changes? I mean, where are we going to see complete rewriting of the landscape? Normally, software has a rewrite every, depends on the parts of it, anywhere from every three to 20 years, depending like The back office solutions like ERP and the rest, really complex, take a long time to rewrite, so people wait really a long time to rewrite it, whereas other areas are constantly innovating. Cloud drives faster innovation because you can deliver the capability to everyone all at once, and you're supporting a single product across all the clients. So so where are you going to see big changes? I would argue everywhere. AI may be the fourth stage in the evolution of the cloud and of the next generation of tech, but likely as not, the big guys are well positioned because they have the access to the clients and they have access to the data and they can do pretty cool things. There's a lot of talk that AI flattens the landscape. It allows startups, small players access to solutions to, I suppose, answers that they wouldn't otherwise have, they can sort of piggyback off this huge global investment into servers, into GPUs that's doing this heavy lifting. I mean, do you believe that? Or do you think there is a sort of, as you said, there's still a scale advantage? So it depends on which side of the fence you're on. If you're a software company, the advantage goes to those that have the deep technology. Now, if you're a company that has access to great data in, let's say, the healthcare space, and you're able to train up artificial intelligence-based tools You don't have to have the expertise as much in all the nitty-gritty of the AI. You do need to have some, but that data becomes the driving force of it. And so there are areas where it is an equalizer, 
more where the people have unique capabilities and they don't have to build out the depth and breadth of IT staffing because they can leverage what comes from the cloud. On the other side of the fence is the average company in the world. The average company in the world is going to see a significant supercharging to their ability to do things because now they can drive efficiencies they never were able to do before. And smaller companies will be able to do more and likely compete with bigger companies. So it depends if you're a software company or not. Just on that, I mean, the economics of AI, I mean, how expensive, I mean, to do basic tasks, where's the limit? What basic tasks will not be performed cheaper by AI? Well, everyone today is focused on generative AI. AI is 80 years in the making and no one really, most people ignored it for the first 70 years. Nowadays, you you look at it because you, you got Siri and you got auto driving your car. And so AI is cool and it's real world and the rest. And when ChatGPT came out, suddenly generative AI became really great. But there's a wide range of capabilities in AI and it can have really important innovative ways to be able to accelerate what you do, to be able to take away drudgery jobs of writing transcripts or of converting languages or of dubbing this into Chinese can be done by some tools in in a matter of seconds. And suddenly I'm talking Chinese with my voice. So there's some real great capabilities with what it does. But each piece of AI solves a single individual problem. So you got to think at what the tech can do and where it can do it. The generative AI capabilities are about guessing, guessing as a smart, informed type of person and coming out with answers based on a massive amount of data. And so it can solve a subset of problems, but it doesn't solve all types of problems. So we're going to just keep chipping away at different parts of where the biggest pain points are for individuals or for corporations or for productivity in companies using different types of AI tools and techniques. Well, I suppose that's, you know, something like Microsoft are looking at, well, are putting an assistant, embedding it into our software solution. Obviously, there's huge productivity gains attached to that. Who gets that benefit? I mean, can Microsoft charge us more or is that split with us? Or is it is it actually so cheap to provide that they'll just suck it up and it's just part of our existing it's a, it's a great question, and I have a somewhat controversial opinion on this, and that is that you have to look at it as three buckets. The winners are going to be the people who can offer differentiated capability, and I would argue that Microsoft's one of the companies, Adobe's others. There are other people out there that have differentiated either the data or the expertise or whatever else they may have. Then there are the companies where it's going to be simply a cost of doing business. If you're going to add a help capability to your app, you're not going to be able to charge for that. It's not differentiated enough. It doesn't drive enough value for the clients. But if you're an attorney and you have to have paralegals helping to write documents, and now you can use a combination of Microsoft Copilot with a Westlaw plugin and write a brief in minutes, that's massively productive. And whatever Microsoft's going to charge and Westlaw's going to charge likely is not as a fraction of the savings. So if done right, the client is going to capture the lion's share of the value, and they're going to pay through to the software tech company a portion of it. You can argue whether it's a fair portion or an unfair portion, but if it's going to make sense and the businesses are going to grow, it's got to be one where the client feels they're getting more than enough value for what they're investing. And again, if it's just me too capabilities, you're not going to make money on it, and those companies likely as not don't generate more revenue but end up with more costs because- Generative AI is not free. It uses a lot of 
compute cycles, GPU cycles, memory, et cetera, et cetera. And no one's giving that away for free. But is this similar to the sort of internet, you know, where 99, 2000, we saw huge investment into undersea cables and the people that spent all that money probably got an incredibly low ROIC even now on that investment. But the rest of us, you know, that underpinned the growth of the internet and we saw all sorts of productivity gains on the back of that. But the people that built that infrastructure did not make the return. Is AI similar that there's a whole lot of investment going into these service GPUs, even even some of the models that ultimately will be difficult for those people to monetize, but as users, we will get the benefit? It's an interesting question. I think it really depends on how effective these technologies really are and how they can keep them from hallucinating. Uh, they guess. And if they guess poorly, then that value it's creating is zero to negative, right? You go down the rat hole of the wrong types of things you're trying to do or whatever. And so if we can control the guessing and make it really smart guessing, there is value being created. The question of whether or not they're going to be monetizing all of the massive investment, it, right now, likely as not, the demand is greater than the supply. And you see that in the need for GPUs because everyone and their brother wants to train up models. And a lot of these are private companies with VC backings with a ton of cash. Large enterprise is not yet doing this yet. That will come. I argue it probably doesn't happen until 2025. They're going to spend 2024 kicking the tires and figuring out what they want to try to do, and then they start spending in 2025. And so it's going to come down to how much model training occurs in the near term. Longer term, it's people have to be able to make money from offering up generative AI question and answer of some form, what they call inferencing. If Microsoft can charge for Copilot and charge what they believe is a fair price for it, then of course it's going to work. But you have to have lots of people being able to do that and lots of companies be able to do it. And so whoever your insurance company, they're going to add a smarter way for you to be able to query the system, then they're going to want to monetize it either with less staff or tell you more stuff. Otherwise, they're not going to do it. They do some to keep up with the competitors, but not enormously. So the big bet is the trillion dollar plus bet is going on today is that companies will be able to use these models to do amazing things that the clients in one way or another are going to pay for significantly in order to be able to more than offset the cost that's being invested in building the models. And that's a huge bet. And time will only tell. That's similar to many software innovations, right? Is that you bring something and you give these productivity gains. I mean, how, in your experience, does AI compare to previous structural changes, you know, the introduction of SAP or Oracle? Where are we with this? This is, in some ways, bigger and faster than we've seen in previous instances. By the time the average person knew what the cloud was, the cloud was a relatively big business. In the Spring of this year when ChatGPT exploded on the world and it became something everyone knew what it was, it was moving very quickly. And it is moving very quickly as a technology today in terms of the drive to be able to, to create value here, to be able to get on the bandwagon. It got to the point where all you had to do if you were raising money is add the word AI to your presentation and the, the price you were getting for your stock just went up. We did our big event, Bernstein did our big event, and every single CEO at our SDC conference was either answered the question before it was asked or was asked the question about AI, whether they were selling toilet paper or whether they were, you know, 
a financial institution. It didn't really make a difference. It exploded on the world and everyone wanted to be involved in it. You haven't seen that in many of the previous, I would argue possibly in none of the previous instances. And so it's moving really fast. There's lots of questions of security and privacy and other things people are trying to figure out. This is the bullet train leaving the station and everyone's trying to they're not even getting on the train. They're trying to catch up to the train. So it's different and it's moving really quickly. Prior instances, there have been ones that have been incredibly successful. Cloud is doing really well. It's changing the way software is. It's democratizing tech. It's doing a lot of, of great things for a lot of people, including investors. But it took a lot longer before it really hit stride. And this is one that's moving a lot faster. So it is really an interesting question. Again, we really will not know how impactful, at least generative AI will be until we start seeing lots and lots of companies putting the tech out there and people using it and gaining value from that. And that's arguably at least another year out. And so everyone's investing ahead of the curve, hoping that that's really going to happen. And if it doesn't, then I think AI in general is going to take a hit, not just generative AI, which is a tiny little subset of a really big set of very different technologies. I mean, Microsoft apart, are there any good current examples where we're seeing current monetization, where people are actually paying for some of these models or for, you know, actually in a commercial real world application? I think the, the next closest example is Adobe with their Firefly tools, They only recently launched the monetization strategy, and so it's a little bit different in terms of how they're doing it. But there's no question, I I was at their event, there was no question in the audience of all of these creative professionals that this was going to have a big impact on their job. The oohs and the ahs and the wows and the leaning forwards and the people slapping each other, high-fiving over the tech was pretty impressive to watch. And I have to tell you, I've been around a long time. I'm a bit jaded about new and emerging tech. There were things that I was speechless over what they were starting to be able to do. And so there are companies like Adobe, they're probably in poster child in terms of it, that are bringing the tech really fast to market and they're driving adoption. We're yet to see how big the monetization, the only one that's really announced numbers is Microsoft in terms of at least the big tech companies, uh, or of course, NVIDIA, but that's not a software company. But downstream in software, it's Microsoft's hitting the numbers already. Adobe's likely pretty soon behind, and then we'll see. It may be a quieter period for longer than people expect, but if everything goes well, you'll see this big ramp up in adoption of this tech. And obviously, with Microsoft, Adobe, two household names who are getting to the front of this. Before we sort of go to the dark side of AI, is there a company that in 10 years' time, none of us have heard of now, that we all know of that because they have made this leap, have harnessed the technology and become part of the furniture? Or do you just see it as the same, you know, business as usual? No, I, I think there will be. We're very carefully looking for them. Look, OpenAI, no one knew who they were a year ago or a year and a half ago, and their household name. And they've done incredible things and the value of the company went up a lot and then they had some internal issues a saga out of someone's soap opera but there will be more of those that will come out and as i would argue those are the guys that have access to unique data because generative ai if you can train it on medical records you can do some pretty amazing things in terms of helping doctors helping first responders oracle has a tech 
for first responders. There are other ones that are coming out. So there are areas in which that data, which is finding a needle in a haystack today because the volume is so huge, it could be massively valuable. But is there people that we know yet? I think it's a little too early. And I want to get on to the regulation. I mean, you touched on there. I mean, access to data sets, how do we protect access to data sets or how do we leverage data sets? Because for example, the medical example you cite, as I understand it, in China, access to the whole hospital data set is conversation with one person. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, added, you know, it's for the greater good. And if we access this data, we can come up with better treatment plans. In a Western world where we control access to medical records far more tightly, is this going to be a problem or is this just something just gets solved pretty simply? I think it, it could get worse before it gets better. The smartest people in the industry, in the areas of security, privacy, data governance, and all the rest, have concerns and they're trying to figure out how we do it in a way that doesn't stymie the tech. The problem is that the regulators often are not people with that deep knowledge, and therefore they can, it's a two-edged sword. You over-regulate, you kill the market, and then you let someone who isn't regulating, possibly China, get a huge advantage over the US, over the Western world, or whatever you want to define the grouping. And so it's a really complex problem that needs to be solved. Because look, historically, before the internet, most companies' data safety was you couldn't find the data to be able to steal it, okay? It was buried in file cabinets, it was buried in servers, tiny needle in a massive haystack. Along comes the internet, and everything exposed to the internet is findable. Now you add AI to it and you expose it to the corporate data. Inadvertently, you can give out information you wouldn't expect. There were some early tests that were done on some of these things that based on prior questions that were asked, the system was inferring what people's jobs were. When it was never trained on that type of thing. And so it's really a complex issue. At some level, my fear is the regulators will over-regulate and that will slow the move of the tech, at least in part of the world. And that will have its own negative ramifications to it. But that said, this is one that's a double-edged sword. The bad guys can use the technology just as easily as the good guys and do terrible things. And so every time we create better weapons, they can be used against us. And this is one of those. To go to the sort of furthest extreme, you know, in the realms of science fiction, how close are we to a sort of dangerous AI that protects itself, that learns, that takes control of systems, et cetera, as we sort of read about in all the apocalypse? So... I would argue, and, and I did my PhD 100 years ago, it feels like, because the industry is moving so fast. I would argue we're not as close as people think we are. There's a lot more to go from training up on all the information on the internet to getting something that is capable of making its own cognition. Okay, it Look, GPT can, or generative AI can guess. And it could sound like it's thinking, but it's really not. It's making inferences based on the information given to it. It's not making that big leap, even though it does some things that are really interesting to it. So I don't think it's as soon as people may be concerned about. The bigger problem is that the tech is generally available. And so it can be massively misused. Cybersecurity attacks, what they call phishing attacks, where they try to find out about who you are and all your information so they can steal your credit cards, just got massively easier because these systems could train up on everything on the internet about you and could attack hundreds of thousands of people simultaneously and break through in some places. And so the biggest problem is the misuse of the tech 
rather than the tech becoming a problem all unto itself. Now, is it possible the tech could do stupid things that have problems to it? Absolutely. But tech could always do that. People mismanage. You know, how did the Chernobyl incident occur? It is because the people managing the Chernobyl uh, reactors didn't do the right things. So tech can be misused and people could do stupid things. This just makes it a little easier. It's really the bad guys misusing it is my biggest fear. Well, then can we create AIs that will do the policing for us as well, though, that are so smart they can spot these, the emergence of these trends? So the answer is yes, and they're trying to do that, or they're doing that. Microsoft has a, a security co-pilot coming to market that supposedly is designed to do what individuals do today, trying to find out if they're being attacked in multiple ways and countering the tax. And so the good guy, there's a lot of really smart people using the tax in really positive ways. And so, yeah, we could end up as a, as a cyber war of AI against AI. And it depends on who's got the, if it's an individual on the bad side of it, then we're probably fine. If it's a nation state with enough tech behind them, then you got to hope that the big guys step in. You know, Microsoft and another number of companies were the first ones to step in to counter nation state attacks, even on like Ukraine. It wasn't governments, it was corporations that stepped in to counter these attacks. And so you're going to need to see that. I think on that positive note, good to hear that net net, I think AI is going to be continue to help us improve standard living across the world. Just before we let you go, I'd just like to touch on the sort of more mainstream, well understood areas of your coverage, the cloud. And just really just a reminder of if you talk where we are on that shift to the cloud, how far have we got to go? Is this going to sort of drive these companies for the next well for how long? So it's a great question. It's one that is again a little bit controversial. There are arguments in all ways that are being given by different people as to how far it is. And it depends on how you measure it. Is it how much of total spending has moved to the cloud versus cloud? There's a revenue lift when you move to the cloud. So when you move from on-premise to the cloud, today you pay for hardware and you pay for software and you pay for people. And when you move that workload to the cloud, the cloud vendor replaces that software and a portion of the people. And so you pay more to the cloud vendor. So it depends on how you size this. Different parts of software have moved to the cloud at different rates. And so there are areas like Salesforce automation, to a lesser extent, human capital management, that have moved significantly to the cloud. They're at the point at which adoption is slowing because the easy, low-hanging fruit and even probably a lot of the opportunity has already moved to the cloud. And so those markets are well in the maturation process at this point. There are other areas which are very early on whether it's the back office technologies of what they call enterprise resource planning, accounting, supply chain, manufacturing, logistics, et cetera, are relatively early in the move. Even moving things to things like Azure, AWS, GCP, what they call infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, is relatively early in the move. And so depending on where you are, you've got some real serious runway. If you're in this area of enterprise resource planning, I argue those vendors have five, seven, eight, ten years ahead of them of nice growth, strong growth, because there's a lot that still needs to move. If you're in IAS Pass, you know, you're in Azure and AWS, GCP and Oracle OCI, and there are many more of them, uh, smaller vendors, they also have long runways. So different parts of the market are closer and different parts are 
more mature in terms of it. And so you got to understand which of those it is and how mature the market is and how much of an opportunity. But cloud is going to be impactful for probably at least the next five years uh, overall. And then there'll be some new generation of tech, whether it's uh, edge computing or AI-enabled capabilities that will take over as the next leg of growth. I mean, that was one of my questions is, is this cloud transition still intact? As you say, are we at risk of obsolescence quicker than we maybe have thought? You know, is the legacy, are new companies coming forward without a legacy who can redesign how we do things, use AI, use different solutions, as you say, edge computing? Software is a space in which innovation is constant and ongoing and accelerating. And because of that, your line of sight is shorter than in many other industries. Your line of sight often is, when people ask me, you know, I say, I can see three years. Some instances, I can see five years. Beyond that, the tech will have innovated in, in ways we don't really know. And so this ongoing transition of the cloud Likely three to five years from now, we're talking something else. Whether it's AI or some other area, we don't know. There's lots of supposition about what the next leg will be. Likely as not some big portion of that will be artificial intelligence, whether it's generative AI or something else. Again, still needs to be seen. But the innovation cycle is is high. The rate of innovation is increasing. And so what the next great wonder is, is likely just around the corner for us. And so we'll start to get a better sense in the next year to two, I suspect. But presumably payback periods reflect that. The productivity gains are pretty powerful and pretty quick. You hope so. So again, going back to you know the laying in of fiber, the pay, paybacks took a lot longer and may still be going on. So not always. And thus, the whole free market ends up blowing up the companies that can't come to pay back relatively quickly and those companies disappear and get acquired along the way. And so, you know, the innovators of today, many of them didn't exist 10 years ago, or let's say 20 years ago for sure. And so there is a whole process. There is a maturation cycle and everything else to this, but the payback for moving workloads to the cloud is only a couple of years. So if you're a client, you're going to get your value out relatively quickly. If you're a cloud provider, and you don't build data centers, which is what most software as a service companies do. They don't build data centers. They use the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Googles, as well as the what they call co-location facilities. They don't have the capital intensity. And those guys should have a relatively quick line of sight to profitability. The problem is they try to grow so fast, they burn cash like crazy. So that's a separate discussion for another call potentially. But the reality is if you look at the way Microsoft is investing in AI and Adobe is investing in AI and Oracle is investing in AI. These guys are line of sight to profitability on those investments is very short. They know that what they're spending today is generating profitable revenue three, six months from now. That's really good. So TBD, but it depends on what it is and where you are. You wouldn't see this much investment in innovation unless you believed you can generate meaningful return in a relatively short period of time. And in terms of penetration, I mean, is there anyone that shouldn't be on the cloud? Yeah, there are workloads that just for legal, regulatory, business, performance reasons, 
don't really move to the cloud. You've got a very integrated manufacturing environment where the systems that are running and controlling the automated manufacturing facility, putting them in the cloud doesn't buy you a lot. You want it close enough so the performance is optimal and you decrease the chances of anything going down or breaking the internet or whatever. And so the stuff that just makes less sense, you're probably going to be in what they call a hybrid world where some of it lives on on premise, on device, in your offices for the foreseeable future, 10 years. Uh, beyond that, anything could change in the tech. And security, is that no longer an issue for the cloud? Security is is an ongoing problem, but security, or what they call cybersecurity, is like an insurance policy. You decide how much coverage you want for the level of risk you have, right? You don't buy one that could get against every possible instance if you're a company. Same thing here. So you decide what level of protection you want with it. Security is an issue. And again, the newer techs make security more important. On the other hand, if you shift the stuff to the cloud, the cloud vendor is absorbing a significant amount of the responsibility for securing things. And the big software cloud companies have far more cyber experts, more people focused on protecting the systems than any but the largest company in the world are capable of doing. And so, you know, you look at a Microsoft, you look at an Amazon and Google, and yeah, they've been breaches, but they've been relatively contained breaches. And there's big bullseyes on the back of those companies. There are people that would love to be the guy that could say out in the world, I was the guy who brought down one of those. And so they've done a really good job and they spend a lot on it, but they also have real control over their environment in a way that the average company doesn't because they built most everything themselves. And they do a lot of really interesting things to keep the bad guys out. And so the shift to the cloud in some ways, at least for the smaller companies, is a shift to a more secure, to some level at least, more secure environment. We've covered a lot of the AI space there, but Microsoft OpenAI saga that you referred to earlier, could we have your two pence worth on just where you think it's going and, and the impact, if any, on the wider space? So the, the it is a saga, okay? It is a conflict of very differing expectations of what you're, what you want out of the world between the board of directors the management, and investors like Microsoft. And that conflict came to a head. And like in any good soap opera, there was lots of, of interpersonal and there was lots of going on their own. They're going to Microsoft. They're starting a group. No, they're coming back. And how are they doing it? And, and look, the story isn't done. It isn't done likely from the open AI side because looking from the outside, OpenAI needs to figure out what their business is, and they need to come to some sort of resolution of how they're going to run that business in an effective way, or that business won't exist. And so they need to figure that out. And so there's a new board that needs to be put in, and then other things need to be done. A Microsoft, who made a huge investment, likely as not needs more of a say in things because of the size of the investment that they've made. And so there's a lot to that. But I think beyond that, there's the fact that it's a tell to the rest of the world, if you're going to use emerging tech and you're going to base a portion or all of your business on emerging tech, you better be sure that the companies 
have their act together and you're not going to have a situation like this. And so I think it's going to have an impact on companies and whether they're going to look at, do I use AI from some small company? And again, OpenAI isn't so small from a valuation point of view, but from a maturation point of view, a number of employees, it's relatively small or very small. And so do you bet your business on that? Do you, do you go and say, no, no, I got to use get a company like a Microsoft or an Amazon or Google or an Oracle or whomever to be sure to guarantee me that I'm not going to have a problem because they're going to get an internal fight and the business is going to vaporize overnight. And I think that's a warning to software in general, but I think it's especially in the area of open AI. So I think the soap opera will continue specific to open AI, hopefully not for very long. But I do think it's going to change the way companies think about who they're going to partner with uh, to assure themselves that they do not have a problem. Mark, software space is a hugely talent-driven industry. Who, in your view, does it best? Which company over the long to medium term? And who do you expect the next five, 10 years will attract, retain, reward the best talent to deliver the sort of solutions the world needs and will pay for? It's unfortunately... A moving target because managements change, companies mature, cultures change within companies. So culture is important. The decisions people make and where they go to work is as much driven in software by the environment, the culture, the people, the opportunity as it is the pure economics of the business. And so a lot of companies have tried a lot of different things in that respect, some more valuable and some less. This whole big issue right now is work from home. And a lot of companies are pushing to get everyone back in the office because while working from home is great for the individual, it's not so good for the company because those interpersonal relationships break down. And does it matter where I work then is less important to it. And new employees don't get to be brought online and onboarded and grow in the culture and the rest. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this works out over the next couple of years. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Mark. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. You've been listening to In The Know with Bernstein Research. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to like or subscribe. In the Know with Bernstein Research. If you do not have access to Bernstein's research, you can find it at bernsteinresearch.com, where you can also find important disclosures that we encourage you to review. Bernstein has no obligation to provide any updates or changes at any time in the future. All references and or market forecasts are correct at the date of recording. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter and may not be the same as the views of Bernstein or its affiliates. Bernstein is not providing any financial, legal or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast and this should not be considered as investment advice. This podcast must not be copied, distributed, published or reproduced in whole or in part. None of us hold positions in any of the equities that we have discussed today.